What kind of fa- Hello and welcome to Horror Culture Shiver, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we've reached the end of five weeks at Freddy's. Uh, we have. It's gone so quick. It has. And also, if you're listening on day of release, happy Halloween. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Today would be <clears throat> Halloween. It is. It is. Um, yeah, so every year we bring you a Halloween special, but this year, do you know what? It's two in one because... This deserves to be a Halloween special in itself. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I Tell think us so. Why. I mean, because this is a sequel that I will, and I, not that I need to, but I would defend to the death. I mean, I have so much love for this film. It constantly swaps in and out with Dream Warriors as my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. A film that is so ahead of its time and just a perfect perfect horror film in many ways it is Wes Craven's new nightmare from 1994 or as it's known in Japan a nightmare on Elm Street the real nightmare oh I mean that's true it's accurate yeah hasn't got the same ring to it I'm not gonna lie no Wes Craven's new nightmare is a good title yes by 1994 <laughs> Wes Craven's name meant a lot so to have that in the title better than Wes Craven presents yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, isn't synonymous with classics. No, no, it's not. Um, but yeah, it's at, at this point the franchise had hit a wall because they tried to kill Freddy off in the last one. But they did. Uh, I mean, yeah. that was the wall. That was the wall. Um, they did it in a going to star episode to find out how they did it, and it, you'll realize why it was a terrible idea. Um. And it wasn't a satisfying conclusion to the franchise. No. And as we all know, when the words final or dead in relation to a character are included in a horror franchise's name, it doesn't mean much. Mm. You know it's going to be back. Yeah. There's never, there's never, and I don't think there ever will be a final film in a franchise. I don't think any franchise would just die off for good. No, no, not when money's involved. Exactly. Uh, and in this case, it's a very good thing because we get this film uh, written and directed by the legend that is Wes Craven. Of course, you know, the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Uh, Scream, parts one to four. The Last House on the Left, The Hills of Eyes one and two, Deadly Friend, Cursed, The People Under the Stairs, The Serpent and the Rainbow. So many great films. And I think in the past we've been a little... Um, a little easy to think that he, maybe he's got more... Or he's got a balance of good and bad. But actually, I think, having not watched all of his filmography, but judging from what we have seen, I think he's got more bangers than he has bad films. I think so. He's one of these directors where the good is really fucking yeah. good. But the bad, it's not great. Um, But just off the top of my head, I think I haven't seen every single... Wes Craven no. film, so I can't judge fully, but from what I've seen of his filmography, more good than bad. Yeah. And a, a few masterpieces yeah. there. Yeah. You know, no, not many directors can honestly say that they changed horror cinema two, potentially even three times yeah. in their career. I mean, 
you know, I always say my joint first favourite horror franchises are Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street, both created by Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, before making this, he watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films back to back. And by the time he was finished, he claimed that he could not follow the storyline at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so with you there, Wes. Yeah, he, he. I mean, he says the the sequels are all weak compared to his master, original masterpiece. Um, not true for all of them, but I mean, Freddy's dead exists. Yeah. Do you know what's absolutely insane? What to, in, to me in my head to sort of get my head around that there was only ten years mm-hmm. between the first Nightmare on Elm Street and New Nightmare. Yeah. There's only 10 years, but it's almost been 30 years since New Nightmare, and yeah. therefore 40 years since Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Now, I don't remember either of the films coming out and being released. I, I don't. Mm. But going through this journey throughout October together, I think it's really brought us closer together as a couple. But I also <laughs> think the... <laughs> we go through this journey at least once a year. I know. <laughs> but I also feel like time doesn't mean what I thought it meant before. I just feel like we've been on this giant journey from yeah. the first film to the final one. Uh-huh. But really, it's only been 10 years. Yeah. Do you know what it's I mean? True. Because true. We, we sit here and we've been a couple for the best part of seven years. So we're quite the way through A Nightmare on Elm Street's franchise. Because you don't get another film until Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. And then you don't get another film after that until <clears throat> the remake. Yeah. And then you don't get anything. Yeah. Which is... Apart uh, from when he guest starred in the Goldbergs. Yeah. This is an, an actual shame. And if any film producers are listening to this, come on, make something new for fuck's sake. I don't even, I don't care if it's good or bad. Just get a new Nightmare on Elm Street out there. Like, requal it. Who cares? Just get a new film out. I suppose it's less risky to just get money from all the merchandise. Yeah. Because I'm assuming New New Line Cinema still get a fair bit from the uh, merchandising rights Mm -hmm. for Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And they... Is it the first film that they use for the merchandise as well? I think it is. Not like Halloween 2. I think every now and then there's Dream Warriors as well. Mm, I think yeah. it is definitely what you were saying about time and everything. I think it's very telling that there was only 10 years between this and the original and yet they were still able to make something like this mm. where it was a global phenomenon. Like mm. everyone knew who Freddy was and they were able to go down this route with the story because it made sense at that point in time. Yeah. Um, it was never originally going to be that way, though. This is the point, according to Wes Craven's biography, where New Line would have gone with a Freddy versus Jason. Uh, yeah. Because, obviously, you just had uh, Jason goes to hell with the Freddy ending, and Jason is then in the hands of New Line, so... Yeah. But they didn't. They waited until 2003, when Kelly Rowland was available. This is made on a budget of $8 million and it only made $19.7 million at the box office, which, yeah. although it's more than what it was made for, that's not great. I don't think audiences were ready for this no. film. They have I, two more years to go. Yeah, <laughs> because it's, well, we'll get into it. We'll yeah. get into all the meta and the more kind of adult orientated themes of the film, which I thought... 
you know, may have alienated some um, fans yeah. of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. They're all teen films up until They're this point. They're all teen films. You know, this is essentially a film about a mother and son yeah. and their relationship. And I don't think the diehard Nightmare on Elm Street fans were too interested in that. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see teens get cut up yeah. by a wisecracking um, man mm-hmm. in a Christmas sweater. Yeah. Um, and to be honest... <laughs> I didn't go full on Kelly Rowland quote there. <laughs> to be honest, what we got here, because it's so ahead of its time, I would say is a good example of elevated horror. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I actually completely agree with you there. I mean, that sound like a shock, like you never agree. But then would you say that Scream would be considered elevated horror? Absolutely. Or do you think Absol- Scream is too light-hearted for that? No, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Actually, yeah, maybe it is. I because... don't see New Nightmare as a comedy. No, Even New... in there are scenes. New Nightmare has themes. It mm. has layers. Mm-hmm. Scream is a meta take on the horror genre. Yes. You know, so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say Scream, but I would say this is. Yeah. How we see elevated yeah. horror now. Yeah. Um, the very modern term, elevated mm-hmm. horror, rather than... Because, you know, I would describe The Exorcist as elevated yeah, horror. Of because yeah. it's horror on a new level. Mm. But I wouldn't describe it in the way that we're describing it now. Mm. Well, actually, no. I think I would. Yeah, yeah, actually. I may have taught myself into that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, completely ignore what I just said. I've I literally just talked myself into that. Well, oh, shall we... Good, good for the exorcist. Shall we talk about who's in this? Yes, in a section we like to call, Hey, I know you. And what are you doing at this random guy's funeral? Um, yeah, this is an interesting <laughs> one because we have a cast playing themselves mostly. We do, yes. Um, and for the final time this month, have a Langen camp. I've only mentioned it once before, but just in case, you know, you, you're still... Got that fresh in your mind. Heather Langenkamp as herself mm-hmm. and as Nancy Thompson. She is the star of Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 3, Just the Ten of Us, The Midnight Club, The Outsiders, Tonya and Nancy, The Inside Story, yes. Portal, Glitch, and more. And following her initial success in both the original Nightmare on Elm Street and Dream Warriors, Langenkamp took on the role of Mary Lubbock in the ABC sitcom Just the Ten of Us. However... She was later stalked by an obsessive fan who was unhappy the series was cancelled, leading to her temporarily moving to England. In the film, her character is also stalked through harassing phone calls and Wes Craven asked if he could use it in the film and she was happy to go ahead with it. Yeah, and Wes uh, Craven thought there was uh, quite a bit of irony in the idea that many have taken issue with horror films. Mm. And thought that horror films would bring out the worst in people. Yet it was the cancellation of a light-hearted sitcom about yeah. a, a large family that made this person so angry yeah. that he stalked the star. Which is, yeah, very, almost comical Yeah, in, in the idea of how we are perceived or how people perceive mm. horror films. Yeah, I think it adds uh, to how creepy this film is as well, that we know that this was something that happened in real life to Heather Langenkamp. So mm-hmm. good for her for, uh, w- you know, being willing to go ahead with having it on screen. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, a cast member who has said that this is his favourite film of the franchise, along with Freddy's makeup being his favourite look. A man who you've definitely heard a lot of Hey I Know You's for this month if you've been listening to all the episodes. Yes. It's Robert Englund as himself and the entity slash Freddy Krueger. So just in case you haven't listened to the other ones, he was in the rest of the franchise, Stranger Things, The Mangler, Urban Legends, Zombie Strippers, Hatchet, V and more. Uh, in this film, he's depicted a lot closer to what Wes Craven had originally intended for the character. Much more menacing, much less comical, uh, with an updated attire and appearance. However, in 2015, before his death, uh, he would admit he regretted changing his appearance and said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Which is why he kept Ghostface's mask uh, in the screen films the same all the time. In the film, England also plays himself as both an actor and painter, as I've said, and according to the Never Sleep Again documentary, a scripted but ultimately unfilmed sequence would have seen an England transform an England? We've seen the England, Robert England, transformed into a fly and trapped in the web of a giant Freddy spider in an homage to the fly help for me, help. Yeah, for Freddy's nightmare. Um, but it wasn't shot due to tra- time and budgetary constraints, which is a shame because I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen that. What do you think of Freddy's look in this film? Might be my favourite. I I like it. I think it looks great. I do understand where Wes Craven maybe came from mm. in the idea that it's so different to the rest. Yeah. Just it looks a lot glossier, I feel. It does. It looks a lot more... Demonic, yeah. And I think that you know lends into the fantasy side of things, where you know you're gonna have him coming into the real world. So to have him look more over the top evil, you know, it's more effective. And to have his hand have claws, yeah, rather than it be a glove, which isn't new. I mean, that is what happened in Freddy's Revenge. Mm. Um, but of course. In this, he's got like a new design over his hand as well. Like, yeah, yeah. It, I think it looks fantastic. I think, and I think it was almost like a Cenobite. It was kind it was. of, and you know, you compare this to how he looked in Freddy's Dead. Mm. Gigantic improvement. Yeah. And what do you think about the large coat and hat? The large coat and hat, I like the leather trousers. Those ugly leather pants. <laughs> Not too sure about them. <laughs> I did. Um, forgive me. I, I don't remember. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I follow them on Letterboxd, but I did see a review that suggested Freddy looked like a uh, villain from Dick Tracy. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Which I'm living for. He I, does. I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's a, it was a critique or not. Yeah. Um, but I'm living for that. Yeah. So... Yeah, but I, I agree. I the leather the leather pants are a choice though. I mean, but again, you know, ahead of its time, this is before Blade and before the Matrix, so having him go around in leather. Before that episode of Friends with yeah. uh, Ross with leather trousers. Yeah. No, I mean it was obviously inspired by this. <laughs> um Miko Hughes plays Dylan Porter. He was in Kindergarten Cop, a childhood favourite of mine. Pet Cemetery, childhood favourite of Chris's. Uh, Mercury, <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> Mercury Rising, Spawn, Apollo Thirteen, The Untold Story, not that Untold Story, uh, Remains, Surf School, Clockstoppers, Magic Rock, Baby Geniuses, and more. 
so many people on this podcast that we've spoke about have been in Baby Geniuses. Are we, I feel we have to watch Baby Geniuses at some point. Oh, I mean, I kind of want to do it for the podcast, so then it's we've watched it, we've done it in one go, and then let's watch it again. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be awful. Yeah, I feel Not like maybe fun. we should charge for that episode. Yeah. For, uh... We'll start a Patreon just <laughs> insurance for purposes. Baby Geniuses series. Um, I think there's a few of those, isn't there? Miko Hughes was a Freddy fan way before filming. He would watch them put the makeup on Robert Englund every day. And uh, Wes Craven tried to get a real reaction from him to actually cry. To do this, his mother would leave the set and his father would whisper in his ear, your mother's dead. And if he acted well for this, uh, then his reward would be a Happy Meal. And I think that's a fucking bargain. Um, Cry for a Happy Meal. Yes, please. Your mother's dead. (laughs) Um, I'm sure Stanley Kubrick would have been a fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I, Miko Hughes, I think he does a good job in this. Um, especially, <laughs> fucking war zone outside. Everyone is obsessed with fireworks in our area. Please ignore the loud bangs in the background. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is raw. This doesn't mean edited out. This is real. This is real life. <laughs> Which is what I'm about to talk about, funny enough. Um, if, if, yeah, because obviously everyone else in this film, apart from his dad, uh, are playing themselves and his babysitter. A lot of people in this film are playing themselves. So obviously I think it's more of a task for the actors playing characters to put in a good performance. And I think everyone does a good job. And I think Miko Hughes being a child actor, child actors could be very fucking hit or miss. But he puts in a good performance. And I'm not going to lie, when I first watched this, I got really emotional during one scene because of him. The um, rocket in the playground scenes. Like, oh my god! Like this, this is acting. He's he's doing a good job. Yeah, I think he does a decent job. I, yeah. But he's fucking creepy as hell in Pet Cemetery as well. It, I, for me personally, there are moments that are a little cheesy. I'm not gonna lie, but I think he does a do a good job. Yeah. of acting. We've got a child actor. You know, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna give him a Razzie Award or anything. John Saxon uh, is back. Again, another Hey, I Know You from earlier this month. Uh, he plays himself and he plays Donald Thompson, of course, the star of Nightmare on Street 1 and 2, Enter the Dragon, Black Christmas, Nightmare Beach, My Mum's a Werewolf, Tenebrae, Howlmaster from Dust Till Dawn, and many more iconic genre films. Just maybe the coolest. Yeah. Just Yeah, maybe. It's just, just so maybe nice. just the coolest. It's just so nice in this. It's just so, such a likeable guy. And... Even in, like, the interviews for this as well, like, where he's really horrified that someone's dad is killed. It's like, oh, my God. So, so wholesome, John Saxon. He does come across as just a really genuinely nice dude. Yeah. And he's worked with some incredible people, mm-hmm. and he's been in some fantastic films. Yeah. A, what a genre icon. Yeah. John Saxon, definitely. Uh, someone I really enjoyed in this was Tracy Middendorf, who plays Julie. Uh, she's also professional 90s... Well, Catherine Newton is a professional Tracy Middendorf lookalike, should we say. Yes. They both look a lot. They really do Julie. in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she was in Mission Impossible 3, Scream the TV series, Boy Wonder, For the Love of the, for love of the Game, Murder, She Wrote, of course... Days of Our Lives, of course. Do you know, we say Murder, She Wrote appears a lot on Hey, I Know You. Days of Our Lives appears a lot mm. on Hey, I Know You. 
The Perfect Husband, the Lacey Peterson story, and more. She was actually uh, created in part to act as a red herring regarding Heather Stalker. So film editor Patrick Lucia revealed in the same documentary that she was originally scripted to be working as an avatar for Freddy, but this was ultimately changed to her being killed by him instead. Mm. And Winona Ryder, Angelina Jolie, and Drew Barrymore were all considered for this role. Uh, the actresses turned it down due to prior commitments and other projects. And as we know, Ryder was going to be Kristen in Nightmare on Street 3 as well. So when you make a new one, get her in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so she to Stranger Things. Yeah. I'm sure her and Robert England are good friends Exactly. Now. Could you imagine Drew Barrymore in this role as Julie? That would have been good casting. It would have been great casting. But it would have been she would have been less likely, I feel, to get screened two years later. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, but of Julie, the two. Yeah. Tracy Vindorf does such a good job. She does. Um, and forgive me, I said three people um, in the cast play characters. Well, no. We also have Fran Bennett as Dr. Christine Heffner. Yes. Star of 8mm, uh, Quantum Leap, In the Heat of the Night, Jezebel, The Next Best Thing, Murder, She Wrote. Yes. Days of Our Lives. There we go. The Morning After and more. Christine Heffner, a character named after the M- former MPAA ratings chief, Richard Heffner, who clashed with Wes Craven over the censorship of his films many times. And, you know, the MPAA are very unlikable with things we've done research on uh, around this time and in the 80s. And I tell you what, Fran Bennett does a good job of embodying that in this role. Yes. She is perfect in this role the the roles a difficult one because on one hand you kind of agree with what she's saying yeah. but on the other she's because you know what's going on in yeah. the film and you know she's like you know slowing down time where they could be solving this thing and you know she's been a bitch to have a langing camp it's like oh she is unlikable but you it's kind of one of those unlikable roles where you just want to see more of her yeah, it's true, but she she does blame the horror movies yeah. for what's going on, so that's in keeping with her namesake. Yeah. But also, she is a little concerned about, and we'll get to it, but she's a little concerned about stuff that she probably has every right to it's be true. concerned yeah. about. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh-huh. She's a bit like um, the Priscilla Pointer yeah, character, the Doctor me, yeah. in Dream yeah. Warriors, where you're like, oh, just shut up and leave him alone yeah. and crack on with it. But it also is like, actually, if I was a Doctor in this situation, I would be a bit like, mm, okay, yeah. it's not quite adding up here. David Newsome plays Chase Porter. Um, Chase Porter being the role based on Heather Langenkamp's real-life husband, David Leroy Anderson. Uh, who does work on special effects in films. Uh, he was originally offered the role, but he declined to because it'd be too close to the bone. And Newsom um, recalled in 2010 how he looked nothing like a typical special effects artist <laughs> uh, who tended to, you know, have longer hair and look less like a stereotypical nerd. Kind of look say. more like an extra in this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, David Newsom, star of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Quantum Leap, The Days, Murder, She Wrote, yes. Coda, A One Time Thing, Boys, Where's Marlowe, Black Circle Boys, and more. Do you know what I really want to do? What? Just the two of us. 
sit down and watch Murder, She Wrote from beginning to end. Yeah. And make a list of all the people <laughs> we recognise, where we recognise them. Yeah. Maybe we can, if we ever do a Patreon, maybe we should do just going through the Murder, She Wrote episodes. And murder. And like, well, we could, we could, hey, I know you. We <laughs> just could just do a Murder, She Wrote on Elm Street and just do the one starring. We could. Nightmare on Elm Street. But then there's, I feel like, so many of the podcast um, films star so many people that are in Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. It's actually true. incredible. Wes Craven appears as himself. He has cameoed in Scream 1, 2, and 3. Jane, Silent Bob, Strike Back. Start Craven, Mad. Diary of the Dead. Red <laughs> Eye. Boston Legal. Body Bags. The Fear. Shocker. And more. And he initially scripts himself as a man driven insane by nightmares who'd cut off his own eyelids to stay awake and was dream- being driven around by Michael Berryman's character from The Hills of Eyes. Craven decided to opt for a more comforting setting of being uh, in an opulent house in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Um, you do get a sense of these homes from this film. Yeah. And Wes Craven definitely has the biggest swimming pool. He does. Much like <laughs> Heather Lankin Camp, she's got a swimming pool, it's a good one. Yeah. She's got a really nice house. But Wes Craven's got a fucking massive yeah. swimming pool. And this is before Scream. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, he'd love that he was included in this section. <laughs> it is Mr. Robert Shea, him himself as himself. <laughs> the groundbreaking star of cameos in a Nightmare on Elm Street one, two, four. Freddy's Dead and Freddy vs. Jason, Jason and Freddy's Nightmares. Quiet Call, The Hidden, Loaded Weapon 1, Man's Best Friend, Festival in Cannes, and Cellular. Cellular? I've Who's seen Cellular many times and I cannot tell you who he plays. No. Um, but again, you know, cameos in everything and uh, yeah. We don't get to see his house. We get to see we his don't. office. Very nice office. Yeah. But I'm sure if we did get to see his home, he would have the biggest swimming pool of all. He would. He's <laughs> putting his absolute best into his performance here. Yes. Really thinks he's going for it. Um, do you have any more you'd like to mention? Um, not... Re- well, I suppose... I mean, there's Lynch, a lot more. We could be... She returns yeah. as nurse with pills. We could be here all day. There's a lot of... Yeah, Sarah Risha plays herself. But yeah. We'll get to that. Oh, well. We will Queen. get to that. But no, that's... Yeah. You, you've uh, touched on... Oh, no. I was going to say the most interesting ones, but it feels a little rude. But touch on the bigger names. Tuesday like, nights also, though. Yes, yes. well with that being said let's get to our final feature presentation of five weeks of freddy how would you like to join us in the definitive nightmare i thought you killed freddy off they told you he was dead and since you've been thinking of making it has anything funny happened for uh, 10 years he's been held captive as freddy in the nightmare on elm street series and now he's got the last laugh what is he doing he's decided to cross over out of films into our reality. Wes Craven's new nightmare. Miss me? We open the film with a man building a metal claw glove. We assume it's Freddy. The man then cuts his hand off with a meat cleaver and we cut to Heather Langenkamp in her iconic Nancy Thompson PJs covering her son Dylan's eyes. She lives in Los Angeles now in California with her husband Chase and their young son Dylan and she's recognised for her role as Nancy Thompson from the Nightmare on Elm Street film series 
before focusing her career on television. Yeah, so we open exactly the same as the original film. Yeah. And with the glove being made and the soundtracks exactly the same, but obviously looks a little more dated. And then we find that we're on a film set, which, which I really like. Yeah. And it's funny because obviously, you know, if you're treating a scene as a remake of that scene from the original, Wes Craven puts a little in-joke in there, how at this point, if they remade it, it would have to be Rachel Stevens more, 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 and he would have to chop his hand off. He would, yeah. So, uh, and that's what I assume that is anyway, yeah. and I think it's very funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's great. And then when it comes to have a Langan camp, it's like, oh my God, okay, this is, this is where we're at now. This is where we're going with this. And this is what I like. I like that the main, there's no, I wouldn't call it a parody. But the main references of the film yeah. are the original. Yeah. So the original and Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. There were other moments that sort of reference the sequels. But the main aspect of this, for the, the meta-ness, yeah. if that's even a word, the meta is the original film, which gives this film a lot more clarity. Yeah. I think if it was trying to hit too many of the notes from the series, mm-hmm. it would have not worked. Yeah. So we don't, you know, this is the original, the opening to the original film, and it continues that. Yeah. Heather's freaked out by the new animatronic Freddy Claws on the set for an upcoming Nightmare film, but she's reminded by Chase that it puts bread on their table. Excuse me, she puts some bread on their table herself. I know Thank she does. very yeah. much, Chase. Yeah. Also, she turned up to this film, and much like Dream Warriors, yet again, she decided to just serve Kurt in every single fucking scene. I can say, Heather Langenkamp, a beautiful woman, always has been, but she looks fantastic in this film. and Absolutely stunning. This is a career best performance as well, because obviously, you know, the first film, um, she's camping it. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. It's a great camp performance. Um, How can you say I gave a camp performance? Exactly. And, you know, Dream Warriors, she's really good in that. But then in this, she is acting. And there's one scene coming up later on where I'm kind of like, if there was justice in this world, she would have seen some attention at award season. Mm. Was she nominated the Saturns? I'm not sure. I I hope she was. I I hope so. Because... Truly, and you know, if you've never seen this film and you've only seen the first film, you're thinking, Oh, have a Langen Camp uh, award winner. Yet, yeah, in this film, absolutely, she would absolutely there's an to be extra nominated. layer to her yeah. character. Number one, she's playing herself, but number two, she's playing a mother, yeah. And I think it gives her performance more of a focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that the character of Heather compared to Nancy. It asks for more acting. Yeah. To be fair, it it's it needs more, and she gives more. I I genuinely think she's really really good. Yeah. In this, um, what I thought was a little inappropriate was when uh, Chase suggests to Dylan that the uh, he has special effects that will scare the pajamas off of Heather. <laughs> no, you're in public. <laughs> Maybe let's not do that. Well. I can tell you for awards, yes. uh, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy 
and Horror Films USA. Yes. Um, nominated this for Best Horror Film. Nice. Uh, Saturn Award. Best yeah. Horror Film. Best Performance by a Young Actor, Miko Hughes. Mm-hmm. And Best Music, J. Peter Robinson. Oh. But... Um, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards oh. nominated Heather Langenkamp, Best Actress, Wes Craven, Best Screenplay, New Nightmare, Best Wide Release Film, and Best Supporting Actor, Miko Hughes, ah, and it won all four. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's a lie. That's a lie. It won oh. two of them. Oh. I misread that. Uh, Miko Hughes and the Best Wide Release Film were just nominations but it won Best Screenplay and Evelanga Camp won Best Actress. Fantastic. Now, there's an award coming up soon mm. that she may fare quite well in. Oh, well, yeah. So, Obviously. and they're the ones that count. Yeah, yeah. Um, the claws come to life and brutally kill crew members Chuck and Terry. <gasps> Not uh, Chuck and Terry. Yeah, one of them has his throat clawed out and uh, the other has his chest clawed out. And Dylan heads over to the bed on set and disappears whilst the claws attack Chase and Heather wakes up to an earthquake. Uh, All of the earthquake sequences in this film were actually filmed one month prior to the actual Los Angeles earthquake of 94. The real quake struck only two weeks before the end of filming. Subsequently, a unit was sent out to film drive-by footage of actual quake-damaged areas of the city before the end of filming. The cast and crew believed that the earthquake scenes that were filmed before the real quake um, struck were a bit overdone. But when viewed after the real earthquake hit, uh, they were actually frightened by the realism of it. Um, In the Never Sleeps Again documentary, yeah. Wes Craven seemed very, very pleased with being able to get this footage. He, he did. He did. I mean, everyone died. Like, <laughs> people... Like, livelihoods were ruined yeah. in this. I don't know why you're so gleeful at being able to get this footage. <laughs> I do understand. It was probably a really good get. And when we see that footage, mm-hmm. it, it it works. It, yeah. looks, it looks great. But it's a bit like, oh, okay. At what price? <laughs> yeah. But I don't think Wes Craven caused the earthquake. <laughs> no, of course not. I like how with the earthquakes, it's a reference in, in part to the original. Yeah. So do you remember when Tina says about the nightmares? She said, yeah, maybe yeah, we're yeah. getting an earthquake. Yeah. You know, people say things go really weird before mm-hmm. we get one. So um, I'm assuming that's the reference. Yeah. Or, or, no, I think so. Maybe it's just a thing. Oh, no, there are a lot of small details yeah. in this mm-hmm. um, that connect to the first film. Mm-hmm. Heather and Dylan notice a cut on Chase's finger, exactly like the one he had received in Heather's dream. But she quickly dismisses the notion that it was caused by the claws. Dylan uh, makes a scary face in his uh, breakfast. Heather is fucking fuming. She's like, she Dylan, is. this is breakfast, not arts and crafts, you little shit. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of this family dynamic. No? I'm not a fan. Um, Heather is the mean one. Yeah. Chase is the nice one. Chase can go swanning off to work. But Heather is guilted for being a mother that's still working. Mm-hmm. Um, Chase is the one saying that he's the one that puts bread on the table. Uh-huh. Yeah, Heather's out there working. Yeah. You know? Well, one thing Heather's doing mm. is serving a cunty business outfit in this next scene. Oh, my God. 
This is the biggest business slay I've seen. Is. Chase is checking with her if she's all right. And at this point, you can't focus because you're just watching that outfit. Just fucking scene-stealing outfit there. Um, if she, She's checking if she's had any more calls from an obsessed fan who quotes Freddy Krueger's nursery rhymes in an eerie Freddy-like voice. And if she's had any more of her nightmares. She tells him about her dream. He thinks she was half awake and saw his fingers get cut when a picture frame fell. But when he leaves for work, another earthquake appears to start and big claw marks appear on the wall. Something else taken from repulsion. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not... I, I like this business suit. Like? I like <gasps> it. I like it. It's very... Um, Are you even gay? Like psychologist on the Ricky Lake show. Like, exactly. his horror. Like, but it's Heather Langkamp wearing like the, it. I really like the colour. No, I, I do. I love it. I do love it. Is, is this the plum coloured one? Yeah. Is it like, yeah. Yeah, no, I am a fan. I just, I suppose it's this dynamic. I can't get over it. Heather, she's just working hard and she's getting no respect at home. Well, she's done a good job of raising Dylan because she goes downstairs and finds out he has great taste in films when he's watching the original <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street on TV. <laughs> But he's watching it in a trance-like state, which honestly is same. That's me when I first watched it. Um, is it on during the day? There's no sort of explanation as to... Uh... She's a big star. She's got a VHS player. <laughs> I was going to say. She's yeah. got a laser disc. <laughs> but it's a supernatural thing. Spoiler alert, later on, we find out Telly's not even plugged in. No, of course. So... No. Spirit but why is she not? Why is, is she saying, why are you watching this? Why is she not saying, why is this on daytime TV? <laughs> Um, when she turns the TV off, Dylan starts screaming, again, same, me when I was younger, until Heather receives a call from the obsessed fan. After the call, the house starts to shake again. When Dylan's babysitter, Julie, arrives and Heather mentions the earthquake, Julie's like, no, there was no earthquake, but a big truck went by. How big was that truck? Well, we've established over the many podcast episodes that... American houses aren't as sturdy oh. as UK houses. So maybe maybe they do shake when a big truck goes past. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we had fireworks not too long ago. And we did. Our walls were shaking. The phone rings again and Eva, Eva answers and she's like, Leave us alone, you son of a bitch! But it's her limo driver. <laughs> Um, Dylan is being all moody because Heather has to go to work, uh, but seemingly wasn't bothered about his dad going to work. Absolutely. He was like, bye, dad. Yeah. Um, For two days. Yeah. Like, he's sleeping over. Also, I'm living for the fact that Heather has her own limo. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming this is what New Line Cinema has put on for her. Yeah. When she goes. Because she, she's on her, her way to do an interview, isn't she? She is. With Sam Rubin. Yes, and her driver is geeking out. He's he's her. a big fan. He's a he big is. fan. He says, uh, when they cut the guy's girlfriend open and drags her body across the ceiling, when all that blood comes out of your boyfriend's bed, mm. I thought I'd shit. Um, it's all too much for her, though. And she, <laughs> she's she, had rolls, she rolls the window up. Space. Yeah, he proceeds to tell her how terrible the sequels were <laughs> and how they shouldn't have killed off Freddy. Um, but yeah, he thought he was going to shit. He thought he was going to shit. Have you, did you not do that first time you watched it? I can't say street? I did. can't say I did. Um, Heather does her 10th anniversary TV chat show interview with mm -hmm. uh, Sam Rubin. 
where he asks her if she'd let her son watch the Elm Street films. Yes. And if she'd trust Robert Englund alone with him. This is very strange. Very weird question. Because her response, because she giggles a little bit, she's like, Robert, I don't know. And it's like, oh. I mean, I guess she doesn't know. I guess she's never thought of that. I mean, sure, she was caught off guard. Like, but why she, the fuck would he ask if that? Someone's been a good friend for ten years. <laughs> it's been like, oh, I don't know. Would I trust them alone with my child? Like, why are you friends with them <laughs> if you don't one hundred percent know that you would trust them alone with your child? <laughs> well, he then brings Robert out in full Freddy costume, who acts like an absolute fucking rock star in front of the audience, who are all chanting his name. And this was inspired by a real encounter. Uh, Wes Craven said Robert England and him did an appearance together on public television in San Francisco area. It was about whether this kind of movie was bad for children or not. There were parents in the audience and then kids, and all the kids leapt to their feet and started chanting Freddie's name. And he remembers looking at the show host and the parents, and they all looked horrified. Um, yeah, this scene is just iconic. And it's so, so fucking good, the way it's filmed as well, in slow motion. And, you know, it obviously shows that Heather's kind of a little afraid of him because of the nightmare she'd been having. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's just great and real great imagery. Yeah, and I think in many ways it kind of epitomises what people critiqued from the series of films the night and where it ended up yeah a nightmare on elm street as a franchise the idea is that somebody who in the original film was a child molester and murderer yeah would suddenly become someone kids dressed up as yeah and cheered yeah and celebrated when he killed people um, to go from that within a 10-year period, mm-hmm. well, less than, because Freddie's dead, um, in, what, six, seven-year period, um, I think that's what Wes Craven's critiquing there. Yeah. Or commenting on. Yeah. And it's definitely. not just Freddy Krueger. Mm. It's Jason Voorhees. It's yeah. Pinhead. It's all of those that become... Um, almost like cartoon characters yes. in a way mm-hmm. and people start cheering these murderers, yeah. these molesterers. And it's like, well, what does that say about American society? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and then some more interesting commentary is the next scene where Heather waits around whilst Freddie's being booked by fans for his autographs. And it's very much a case of, you know, Freddie's the one getting bombarded with fans and no one really was interested in Heather Langenkamp. No. Shocking. And Nancy, and I think, again, this is on a similar sort of subject to what I just said. This is critiquing the fans' response to stronger female characters. Yeah. These final girls that don't last, that no one ever really remembers. Mm. To a certain... Heather Langenkamp, of course, we remember. Yeah. But she's never sort of been the one at the forefront of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yes. Even though she was a heroine. Yeah. She she was the one that we were behind. She was our final girl. And in so many of these films, and I think a Nightmare on Elm Street is probably 
better than a lot of the other franchises mm. in terms of consistency with Final Girls. It's yeah. still not great. But you think something like Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. that series, there's a new Final Girl in each one. Yeah. You know, and no one ever remembers them. They're interchangeable. But Jason Voorhees is celebrated and high-fived in the street. And like, yeah, love that time that you killed that naked chick. Mm. I can't remember her name. You know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, she has a conversation with Robert and he's like, uh, oh, they'd love to see us together again. And she's like, what, in a rom-com? <laughs> and he says, just because it's a love story doesn't mean it can't have a decapitation or two. Apparently, his Phantom of the Opera... A love story contains a decapitation or two. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to forget that. You oh, haven't I watched, watched it. that one. You haven't oh, watched yeah. it. Oh, do you know what? We've watched so many versions of Phantom of the Bloody <laughs> Opera recently. Um, Some have been fantastic. I'm not going to lie. Absolute full time queen and franchise producer Sarah Risher calls Heather and asks her to stop by New Line Cinema offices to discuss a project that Bob has for her. Um, I feel like I've seen Sarah Risha so many times because we watch so many documentaries uh-huh. on A Nightmare on Elm Street and New Line Cinema. And she always pops up during those. And I, I don't know her personally, but she seems like a very nice lady. Um, her acting is... Cunty. It is. But also, <laughs> it's quite, it's camp. It's, it's quite camp. camp. It's it so is camp. camp. She's... It's not bad though, but it is campy. <laughs> She's heaven's like, oh, I hope Cunty Sarah Rish is not waiting for me when I get there. And she is, she's waiting for her, and she greets her, and she's absolutely slaying the game. Not probably not a good performance, but slaying. Absolutely slaying. And her outfit is top notch. She's 1994 business. Yeah. The business outfits in this film are unbelievable. Very professional. Um Bob Shea gets his big moment. <laughs> He does his absolute best to put on a performance here. Um, there's, he can't change being dead behind the eyes, though. Something he cannot change. Um, he pitches the idea to reprise her role as Nancy in a new Nightmare film, um, which, unbeknownst to her, Chase has been working on, which is something that he um, he tells her about when she refuses to take the role. And she's a little horrified by this. Mm-hmm. He describes it as the definitive nightmare and tells her it's come about because Wes Craven wants to make it because he's been having nightmares again. Yeah. Um, Bob Shea's office is adorned with Freddy Krueger merchandise, yeah. um, which I love. Yeah. I, love. I just, I, the thing is, I understand part of the critique of the film is the toys and the comedy and the kids loving mm-hmm. Freddy. Yeah, but, there's an emphasis on Freddy's dead in this office. Yeah, trust and believe, though, I would love all of that merchandise. And if I had watched these films when I was younger, I'm pretty sure I would have, you know, bought all of the. And yeah. when I say younger, I mean a lot younger, you know, 10, yeah. around that age. I would have bought all of them. Um, but yeah, like Gary said, Heather concludes that for Wes Craven to have another script, he must be having nightmares again. Um, yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, I love that w- this is a film directed by Wes Craven, so therefore he set up that office for Bob Shea, <laughs> filled with all the gimmicky <laughs> all the Freddy, Freddy stuff. Freddy That's Freddy hilarious. Stuff. 
Um, <laughs> but I feel like that's a joke against Bob Shea that Bob Shea wouldn't yeah. really understand. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Bob Shea didn't get it at all. But, you know, for anyone who does get it, it's really funny. But... Let's be honest, all that merchandise behind him mm. is why he's got such a really big, nice, flashy office. And it's he true. And he doesn't have to answer his own phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's why Robert Englund has his nice swimming pool at this point. But before this point, he actually didn't get hardly any from the merchandise. Did Robert so, Englund have a pool? Not Robert Englund, Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Um, and Bob Shea... They'd had a fallen out, and the way they made up was Bob Shea finally said to him, "Yeah, you know what? You do actually deserve um, half of the merchandise and whatnot," and sent him a check for it. But it's like for that long, it's like, oh my god, the guy who created the franchise. Yeah, I kind of think he deserves a share in it. But film, it's called show business for yeah. a reason. It is business at the end of the day, and seemingly Wes Craven did not think that there would be any sequels no. whatsoever to A Nightmare on Elm Street. No. So he gave up his rights, which is his decision to make, mm-hmm. which was his right to do. And seemingly it was quite the mistake, yeah. financially mm-hmm. uh, quite a mistake. So, problem, you know, we tend to make fun of Bob Shea a little bit on the podcast. I mean, I've never met the man. I'm sure he's perfectly nice. I don't know. Well, uh, <laughs> well you hear stories. Um, but we tend to make fun of Bob Shea, but this is something he didn't have to do, and he did. Yeah. But also, he probably thought, well, get Wes Craven on board, and we could make quite a bit of money from yeah, the Yeah, get on this good side. Just don't release it at the same time as Pulp Fiction. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh, oh, dear. Heather asks how long Wes has been working on uh, the script, and whether anything strange has happened, mm. including phone calls and nightmares. And as she says it, the phone rings. <gasps> I really want my ringtone to be that scream new nightmare nineties yeah. telephone ringtone. You know which one I'm. T- everyone, everyone knows which one I'm talking about. I do, and yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. The the scene like it's really dramatic, and it just ends where Bob says, "Oh my god, someone answer that phone for me." <laughs> Heather yeah, returns. Heather returns home and sees Dylan having a severely traumatizing episode where he screams at her. Yeah, very very loud. Because she is way far from the house yeah. when she can hear him screaming. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's these thin walls in these American uh-huh. homes. Um, You say about the trouble and family dynamic in this. Do you think there's a theme from the mother and son relationship in this film? I think so. I, I do think so. Um, absent parent, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, childhood trauma. Mm. All that. Um, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of plays into the franchise's bigger theme as a whole with the absent parent thing. You know, oh, of as course. in this is something with... Heather Langenkamp has created. Yeah. And her kid is paying the price for it. The exact same theme as all the other Nightmare on Elm Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you look at it like that, it's well on theme for the whole of the franchise. Mm. Definitely. Um, and if it gets Dylan talking like Donald Duck as well, well yeah. it's a real issue. <laughs> Which it does. It does. It does. When he comes around, he tells her that Rex, his stuffed dinosaur toy, saved him. He shows her Rex, and Rex has claw marks oh, over no. him. 
Um, this is a bit of memorabilia I'd love to have in this film. Now. Oh yeah, <laughs> someone, someone on Etsy or somewhere has recreated. Yeah, it. Miko Hughes it. still owns it. Ah. Um, the frequent calls and Dylan's strange behaviour causes Heather to call Chase, and he agrees to rush home from his workplace at Palm Springs, as at the same time that Chuck and Terry from the Open Dream didn't report for oh. work. Not Chuck and Terry. Uh, Heather reads Hansel and Gretel to Dylan in bed. She doesn't want to finish the story because it's so violent. So Dylan finishes it for her and tells her she needs to finish the story tonight because it's important. Yeah, um, Heather Lankenkamp, was she not familiar with the story before? Um, the first time she's read Hansel and Gretel? Absent parent. Did she know? <laughs> what, do you think she, away, so do you think she had an absent parent that never... I mean, my parents never no, read I mean, tales to me. I mean, she doesn't know about reading it to him because... She doesn't have to oh, do it. Oh, do you usually. think Chase is yeah. the one? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Maybe. She tells him that to finish the story, they followed a trail of breadcrumbs home. Something that may come back later on. Yeah, I like how Wes Craven's taken a fairy tale and yeah. used that. Mm-hmm. Because this is a film, really, from the eyes of Heather, but also Dylan, too. Yeah. That's the kid's name, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's a film from the child's eyes, too. We're mm-hmm. following their story together. So to have a fairy tale narrative plays into that. Yeah. I, I feel. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Uh, and it's very much, it's Freddie using that sort of something that a child can relate to mm. in order to lure him in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dylan has Rex under his sheets and tells Heather that he keeps him there to protect him from the man with the claws. And he tells Heather that she should have a guard too. But the person who really needs a guard is Chase. Because he's driving home and singing Losing My Religion by R.E.M. to keep himself <laughs> yes. awake. But Freddy's claws come up from beneath his seat and touches his balls. Um, yeah, it gives the uh, crotch area a little tickle, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, which Wait. makes Chase scratch that area. Yes. <laughs> Not very convincingly. No, no. It's more like a rub rather than yeah. a scratch. Uh, and then Freddy just reaches up and starts wanking him off. <laughs> um, that's he gives a West... five-finger knuckle shuffle. That's uh, Wes Craven's... knife knuckle shuffle, should I say. That's Wes Craven's nude nightmare. Oh, excuse me. The porn parody. Yes. Freddy's claw bursts through the sea and claws open Chase's chest, causing him to crash and die. Heather wakes up and the police knock at the door to tell her that Chase fell asleep at the wheel and died. Um, This came about due to concerns uh, with the screenplay that Freddy wasn't killing enough people. It's true. I mean, you need that in a horror. You need to know that there is a risk there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose killing off the husband makes sense. In a callback to part five, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it is in my head. Sometimes I get these mixed up. Mm. Um, but then realise that Wes Craven's New Nightmare would absolutely not have him turn into like a <laughs> motorbike. <laughs> uh, motorbike like, how do you explain yeah. a motorbike, dude? <laughs> um, have a immediately demands to see his body so she goes straight to the morgue our queen does not waste time 
And Kenny from Scream. I want to see his cock one last time. <laughs> Kenny from Scream is waiting there for her. Yes. And uh, shows her Chase's body. And she notices that he has four big claw marks on his chest. Oh, what could it be? His funeral takes place with various other cast and crew members yeah, from the everyone franchise. Yeah, up to Chase's funeral. Yeah. And there's an earthquake whilst they're all there. The coffin falls into the ground and opens up. Dylan is dragged into it by Freddy. Heather goes after him. Chase's corpse grabs her and says, Stay with me, Heather. And uh, her longtime friend and former co-star, John Saxon, wakes her up. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love this scene. I think the visuals are so creepy. Yeah. I like um, them sort of fighting over Dylan right next to Chase's corpse. Mm-hmm. It's so dark yeah. when you think about it. And uh, having the incredibly long... You know the inside... I don't know how yeah, to yeah, describe yeah. it. It's sort of like the satin interior of the casket. Yeah. But to have that almost like in liminal space... Mm-hmm. Underneath the ground, I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, and maybe a callback to part four, the funeral scene, where I suppose the uh, brother I mean, comes back. Every good Nightmare on Elm Street film has a funeral That's scene. True, you know, and and I'm just surprised that Heather wasn't wearing bright blue to this one. No, but she's still serving. She is. Um, do you have any of the names there of who else was at the funeral? Um, so I know that Wes Craven wanted Johnny Depp, but mm-hmm. was too scared to ask him because he was too famous. Um, uh, is it, oh, what, who, who did Tina's boyfriend in the original, what was his name? Rod. Rod. Rod, of course no. Um, the actor who played Rod was there. He got a little closer. Yeah. Sarah, Tuesday night. Tuesday night was there. Sarah Risha was there. Bob Shea was there. Of course. Wes Craven was there. Julie was on the front row. Yes. Yeah. Next. To- also, her outfit was uh, a bit of a sleigh as well. For mm. the funeral. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a good... You know, maybe funerals are the best time to sleigh. Maybe. John Saxon tells Heather that um, there was an earthquake that caused her to fall over and bump her head. That night, Heather is woken up by Dylan watching A Nightmare on Elm Street again. Chris Barker when he first watched it. Um, yeah, I did watch it twice in a row. Well, technically, I mean, I slept in between. But yeah, I did watch it twice in a row. Um, I mean, he slept in between and lost a parent in between, so... Well, he's sleeping still. <laughs> he's sleepwalking. So. Yeah, he's sleepwalking this time. She wakes him up. He starts screaming before giving us a cover version of the first line of the Jump Rope Girls hit song. Ah, oh, finally making a return to the series. Well, I suppose it did on the telephone earlier. Oh, yeah. But Dylan gives a better performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, this he's, is Dylan's version. He tells her he heard it in his bed. His nose starts bleeding, and it's revealed the TV wasn't plugged in. Oh, my God. Then how did it switch on? Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's these little reveals that build up as the film goes on. Because, I mean, you know, if you watch this film knowing nothing about it, you'd be kind of like, is this Heather making it up in her mind? Is she going crazy from the pressure of working on these films? You know, I fully believe that's the direction that we were going down. But then when this happens, it hits you and you're like, oh, shit, no, there's something weird going on. Yeah, and is there something wrong? Not wrong, but uh, is Dylan having issues? Yeah. 
there's the idea, the suggestion that maybe he has childhood schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, and we'll discuss it at the time, but Heather may also feel that too. Yeah. And I've just realised what this film is kind of like the Babadook. Yeah. No, it's a lot like the Babadook. A lot yeah. like the Babadook. Yeah. Actually, when you think about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I just, I just realised that I was talking like, oh my god, of, of course, Dylan isn't as um, annoying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted a, a a better way to say. It. No, it's true. It's accurate. As annoying as the kid in the Babadook, but it's similar themes. Yeah, definitely. Oh wow. Okay. You make a very good double bill. Heather explains. Uh, now this is a scene I was on about earlier. Mm. Heather explains heaven to Dylan and tells him she can't get into his dreams of him, but she'll always be waiting for him when he gets back. And, oh my God, this scene, Heather Langenkamp is acting. Yes. Like, this would be her Oscar scene. Like, she is going for it. She is. it's incredible to watch. And I like how honest she is. She's like, no, that only happens in the movies. Yeah. Which one? Three, four, and five. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That only happens in the sequels. <laughs> so you haven't watched those yet? You haven't even finished the first film? No, you've been watching it in parts. <laughs> you haven't even seen the gay one yet, for you fuck's sake. didn't even plug the TV in. Yeah. <laughs> Heather and... Uh, but yeah, no, actually, no, I'm not going to gloss over it. No, that, that performance stuff. Yeah, of course, like, yes. when, when you think about Heather Langenkamp, and obviously, aside from this, she's just been in a lot of smaller B-movies, and doesn't really get that chance to really give a big performance. And I feel like this is her moment. And I just feel like it deserves to be recognised way more than it is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Proud of her. Proud of her. You <laughs> should be. Um, Are you going to start crying? <laughs> no, no. But speaking of, um, the next scene is where Heather and John take Dylan to a playground. And uh, Heather tells John how concerned she is about Dylan. And that she had a family member who ended up in an institution. So she starts telling him about her stalker as well, and he comforts her and says she's not crazy. Um, Do you know what's kind of camp? What? The idea of Heather Langenkamp and John Saxon <laughs> going <laughs> to a playground <laughs> for a catch-up. I don't camp. know why John... Sa- I just don't understand John Saxon. <laughs> why that would be the place to take John Saxon. <laughs> it is camp. It is camp. It's very camp. <laughs> I love John Saxon in this film. Yeah. Because it is kind of a bit like, what is he doing here? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, but obviously the ending, and no spoilers at the moment, but uh, yeah. the ending kind of helps justify his existence. Yeah. Imagine if it was Amanda Weiss instead. Amanda Weiss or, or Ronnie Blakely. Yeah. This oh my is, God. And, and this is where I'm going to put it out there. Yeah. That Ronnie Blakely not being in this film is an injustice. I don't I have no idea why Ronnie Blakely's not in the film, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I I'm assuming it was her decision, and she decided not yeah. to, and you know, that's that's good, that's okay. <laughs> but I would have loved to have had her in the film. That would have been even more camp in this scene if it was her there instead. I I feel like it would have made me. I don't know. I just it's John Saxon though, and I just I feel like it's the dynamic because of you know where the first film ended and where it continues in mm. Dream Warriors. Um, you know, they've had that father and daughter relationship more than her and Ronnie Blakely had that yeah. father and daughter relationship. 
I suppose we have that connection from the third film, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, Dylan climbs to the top of a rocket climbing frame at the park. Uh, he reaches up for the sky and falls off it, with Heather catching him just in time. And he turns to her and says, God wouldn't take me. And honestly, the first time I saw this, oh my God, it was so emotional. I think this is a really sad scene. It's very dark. Yeah. It is very dark. Yeah. Um, the way he said, God wouldn't take me. Yeah. Very um, uncomfortable. Yeah. Definitely. And intense too. Like really, really intense. Like the way it's shot and how it's intertwined with the conversation between Heather and John, and the way it builds up. It's just, yeah. Fantastic filmmaking. And I think this is definitely Wes Craven's way of saying, this ain't your usual Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, we're, we're not having death scenes based on random parts of people's personalities. Yeah. You're, you're not getting, um, you're playing with power now. No. You're getting a kid throwing himself off a rock here yeah. in the middle of a park because God wouldn't take him. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, we're but we're back to the original. Yeah. I, I was going to say back to basics. You know what I mean. Yeah. Heather gets letters in the post from her stalker and she calls up Robert and tells him about it and about her nightmares. He knows the Freddy she's talking about is more evil and darker. She asks how far along Wes is with the script and Robert says he asked Wes at the funeral about it and he said as far as Dylan trying to reach God. Oh. And it's revealed that Robert is painting the new version of Freddy. Yes. Um, loving Robert England's round tinted glasses. Yeah. And what about his swimming pool? And his, his, <laughs> he hasn't got a swimming pool. Yes. You, you see it in the background no, when he's on the phone. Don't. That's yes, Wes Craven. No. Robert England has a swimming pool in the background when he's on Does the phone. Does he really? Yeah. They all have swimming it's, pools. Yeah, but it's not as big as Wes Craven's. Is it not? No. Okay. So is it bigger than Heather's? About the, same. Pool. about the same. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Because <laughs> Chase has obviously put in uh, bread on her table and yeah, pool in her back garden. Uh, that night, Dylan starts sleepwalking again whilst Freddy's claw rips through Heather's bed sheets and moves along to her face. <gasps> now, I forgot to ask you if you had any specific history with this film or if it was just you watched it with the other ones. I just watched it. I watched it in order. Yeah, and, and got to this one and, and watched it. This is the first image I ever saw of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. Because I remember um, my dad had it, brought the VHS, and I remember this image of the claws in front of Heather's face was on the back cover, mm. and that's the first thing I saw, and I thought it was the scariest thing oh. ever. Yeah. Um, the she's cl- not in the bath at any point during this, is she? No, but this is a really cool scene. <laughs> yeah. Glad they went with this direction. Yes. Um... The claw lifts up and disappears when she wakes up, only to find her sheets are ripped in real life. <gasps> and she goes downstairs to find Dylan performing the Jump Rope Girl song in fall with knives sellotaped to his fingers. And he attacks her, but she wakes up to find him repeating the Never Sleep Again line whilst walking in circles with Rex around the letters from the stalker, which spells out, answer the phone. I think the scene with Dylan and the knives on his fingers is really creepy. I think that was really well done. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, again, with child actors, there's a fine line, isn't there? And it always yeah. stays on the right side. And, and it's creepy. And like you said, you know, he kind of perfected it in 
so the yeah. juice well. Yeah, so you basically just have to do the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the phone rings and she answers it. Freddie's tongue comes out of the phone. <gasps> And Dylan starts foaming at the mouth as the phone also starts foaming. <laughs> and it's a great callback. It's the it's the one that you wanted. Yeah. I, I don't I'm I'm glad that the film doesn't just keep going to key moments in the original. Yeah. But there are a few that had to have been there. The the tongue out the mm-hmm. phone. Um spoiler alert. Screw your pass. Yeah. Which I was pleased to see again. And um, Tina's death. Tina's death. Yeah. You know, it ticks a few boxes. Mm-hmm. Does takes... she say whatever you do, don't fall asleep? She does. She does. Of course she does. Heather takes a traumatised Dylan to the hospital mm-hmm. where we are finally introduced to Dr. Hefner, who suspects abuse. So she suggests that he remains under observation and asks if Heather has let Dylan watch her films. Because she thinks it could be dangerous, kids watching horror films. And it's the first thing she goes to. It's true. It's like, she was just waiting for that excuse to bring mm-hmm. it up. And Queen Lin Shay of Insidious fame and There's Something About Mary is also there as a nurse with a fucking mullet. <laughs> what is going on with Lin Shay's... This nearly got biggest gasp for me. What is going on with Lin Shay's hair? <laughs> I, li- I like it. What I don't understand is why Heather Langenkamp didn't recognise her as the woman <laughs> who played her teacher in the original film. Because obviously everybody's playing herself themselves from the original film. Even Tuesday night is at the funeral. Yeah. But Lin Shay is in a different role. Yeah. So who do, who played her high the school The hair's teacher? not that different, actually. Not too different no, from that. No, it's not, actually. Um, yeah. Bob's sister showing up to show him how to act. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, the person who's showing everyone how to act is, is uh, nurse, uh, Dr. Hefner. Yes. Um, yeah, she is... They're putting in a performance. I love and it. she wanted people to not like her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Dylan won't talk to Heather, but signals that he wants Rex. And she tells him Rex is at home where she wants him to be. And then gives him instructions on how to get home. But tells him he needs to get better before he can go there. Something she's probably going to regret soon. Mm, yes. Nurse Lynn Shea comes in to give him some medication to send him to sleep. And suggests that Heather goes home and gets some rest too. And when they leave the room, Dylan takes a pill out of his mouth and hides it under his pillow. Mm. Nurse Lynn Shay, um, just any more to say about Nurse Lynn Shay? I mean, she does. She kind of does what she did in the original film, <laughs> where she just plays um, a, a a role, yeah, um, based around a career, and she does it. She does yeah. it well. She doesn't have much to do as a nurse. No, she she, she convincingly hands over a pill. Yeah, and that's great. Good for her. But she doesn't get the juicier nurse roles. She doesn't know. So um, soon there's a nurse that keeps <laughs> repeatedly getting beaten up. And I kind of wish that was Lynn Shay. Um, Heather visits Nightmare Creator Wes Craven, who admits to having um, nightmares that the films create, that the films captured an ancient supernatural entity has now been freed after the film series ended with the release of Freddy's Dead The Final Nightmare. See what you did. See what you it's did true. creating that shitty fucking film. Another reason to hate Freddy's Dead. 
He's really good at him for Freddy's dead in this film. He's and justifiably (laughs) too, because he must. He, I'm assuming he sat down and watched them like back to back, or at least like one each. He did. He did. And then by the end, he must have been so exhausted. Like, what is this shit? Yeah. Why is why are Roseanne Barr and (laughs) Tom Arnold in this film? Yeah, at that point, you know, that would be the last thing you see of the franchise. I mean, nowadays we're lucky enough to have this and Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. Um, but imagine doing a rewatch of it all and that's what you have that's to... That's what That's like, the conclusion. This is what I... This is the ending to what I created. You'd be like, no. <laughs> no, girl. No. Um, <laughs> I've seen some criticism of Wes's acting over the years. I don't think it's that bad. He just acts like he does in interviews. He acts like Wes Craven. Yeah. What more can he do? He's I mean, just acting like not, himself. I, I think, thankfully, and deliberately, Wes Craven, Bob Shea, and Sarah Risher weren't given, or weren't given, juicier roles. No. So they weren't, they were never sort of in danger of being killed. None of that, mm-hmm. because I think that's when the strings would have shown up. Yeah, I think that's when the non-acting would have been very mm-hmm. apparent. Yeah, if they had to actually act. Yeah, you know, if you understand what I mean. No, definitely. He explains that in the guise of Freddy, the entity now focuses its primary foe on Heather. As killing her will allow it to enter the real world. Oh. As the scene ends, we are shown the script on Wes's computer and it matches the exact same way the scene ended. Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't he make a comment? Like, I just use my computer now. Yeah. <laughs> Very 1994. I use my dialogue. I use my dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it's a really nice touch, like seeing that the script describes how the scene ends. It's just mm. so good. Heather returns home and reads upon sleep deprivation in children, something that leads to her having flashbacks to the rest of the film. Yeah, um, true Nancy style. She does her research. She also reads up on childhood schizophrenia as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, she drinks a big mug of coffee. She does. So she's 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 back back into survival. This is Nancy. She's back into survival now. Um, And I like this. I like, you know, and it's interesting to have Heather... Maybe questioning things. Yeah. Questioning her own sanity, but also Dylan's sanity. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, just going to, yeah, Freddie's back. Yeah. Maybe being aware of the fact of how insane that sounds. Yes. Yeah. How beyond belief that would mm-hmm. be. Uh, and I like that. And I do. I, I, I don't know if. The writer, director of Babadook has cited this as a, a source of um, what's it called? inspiration. Inspiration. I don't know that, but I think it's very interesting, the themes, the, the mother and child dynamic. If I remember right, I think the dad in that film also died in a car crash. Oh, could yeah. have. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And long coat and a hat. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Not a gay icon, though. I don't think Freddy in this film's a gay icon. He calls her a bitch. Yeah. He still talks like a drag queen. It's true, but he's too menacing. He's not camp enough. No, he's like um, pageant drag in this film. 
doesn't he? Like he's just got that moody come to look. <laughs> he's on very him. serious. You know, he's yeah, he's very serious. He's a fashion girly now. He'll and... uh, he'll throw marbles into your feet to yeah. get ahead. No, absolutely. He is um I'll sue the bitch. I'll sue the... <laughs> None of the true beauties are here. <laughs> yeah, that is Freddie in this film. Um <laughs> Crystal Labasia. The Babadook took full inspiration. <laughs> Uh, her TV switches on. Heather sw- TV switches on by itself with a news report about the death of Chuck and Terry. Not Chuck and Terry. It's Chuck and Terry. Um, hell. It's also revealed that the claws are missing. There's another earthquake which causes the power to go out in Heather's house. She hears creaking and Freddie bursts out of the closet and says, Miss me. Miss me. He attacks her and pins her down onto the bed and calls her Nancy. The earthquake starts again, and she manages to... <laughs> what? What's so funny about that? Well, I mean, bit homophobic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a... Does anyone say that anymore? Nancy? Yeah, like Nancy boy. Does anybody say that anymore? No, I don't think so. Was that ever... The... Do, you, do you know that as a thing? I've never... I've been called many homophobic things. I've but never, never had Nancy. No. Never Nancy boy. I wish someone called me Nancy. Nancy. Like, yes, Nancy Thompson. I wish. Do you not? Oh, <laughs> I just... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was a, a term. Very, very old-fashioned. Very old-fashioned. Anyway, I was just going to talk about how scary the scene is. Well, yeah, um, I mean... It, a little, homophobia is scary, so, a, a, yeah. An interesting... Uh, <laughs> Little tidbit for you. Yeah. Um, I think very, very, very old fashioned to call someone a Nancy. Thanks, placebo. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, he calls her Nancy, so he sees her as her character in the film. Ooh, um very the, meta. Yeah, she manages to push Freddie off her and is cl- and he claws her arm as he falls. Uh yeah, this scene is so creepy and I like that balance they have in this film where he has his little quotes, he has his little quips, but he's still so menacing that it doesn't feel like it did in the sequels. Yeah. It feels like it did in one and two where mm-hmm. he was actually scary. Yeah. Yeah. He, he He's always been a villain that talks. Yeah. He is always going to have those quips. And in the original, he did, but still... Managed to be creepy and yeah. scary, and also in part two, he's quite yeah, creepy. Yes, you know, and it's it's back to that full circle, yeah, moment. And I I loved seeing this the first time I saw it to see the Heather character. Mm. She's a character in the film. The Heather character be in the same position as Nancy. Yeah, um, pretty cool. It is like really cool that metaness. Heather rushes to the hospital where she finds Julie, who has also had a bad dream, but about Dylan. Dr. Hefner tells her there's no evening visits and tends to the slashes on her arm. Heather tells Dr. Hefner that she got the slashes during an earthquake. She says there was no earthquake and Heather lets it slip that Dylan is afraid of Freddy. And you can see a little twinkle in Dr. Hefner's eye where she's like, oh, thank fuck, now I've got something to go on. Yeah, she she definitely blames Heather's scary movies. And to be honest, I, I don't understand because How Raise the Judgment wouldn't be out for another sort of 14 years. Um, so... Wow. <laughs> if he had watched that, I would understand. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, she's disgusted that he knows about Freddy. Isn't she? Yeah, no, she is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's disgusted that he knows about Freddy. And Heather's response is, oh, come on. Every kid knows about Freddy. He's like Santa Claus or King Kong. <laughs> King Kong. I mean, yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. But she says it's hard to distinguish whether that's a good thing or not. Yeah. Um, Heather goes to sit with Dylan, who mm. is now sleeping in an oxygen tent after an incident earlier. Dylan rips open the tent, tells Heather he's almost there in a deep voice, and vomits dark green stuff all over her. Ew. Style of the Exorcist. Yeah, I, I hate vomiting in films. It's like, ew, that's disgusting. Dr. Hefner rushes in and says she will cut the evil out of him. She lifts up the Freddy glove, and for that one second, that imagery of Dr. Hefner with the Freddy glove. Living for it. Living. And she, the, uh, the actress, forgive me, I'm, too many names in these podcast episodes. Um, she said that she um, felt something come over her when she yeah. had that glove on. Fran Bennett. <laughs> Fran Bennett, excuse me. Um, yeah, she felt the glove changed her <laughs> in some way. Yeah. I love the dialogue here. When uh, Dr. Hefner, she says, uh, no anesthetic, you say? Screw it then. I'm going in. Little <laughs> boogers full of something I don't like. <laughs> Let's get him open, good and proper. Cut this evil out of him. <laughs> Love it. Um, Heather wakes up to find Dylan is gone. She demands to see him. She runs out of the room. And someone says, do you have a pass? And she says, screw your pass. <laughs> yes. She also has the iconic grey stripe in her hair. She does. And uh, she looks 30 years old. She does. 30. Heather, yeah, she goes to see Dylan, who's with Julie. Dr. Hefner tells her that Dylan isn't leaving until they figure out what's wrong with him. And Heather says, Dylan, whatever you do until mummy gets back, don't fall asleep. Of course. How did I miss that? And that is when Julie notices the uh, the streak. The 20-year-old streak. Yeah. Heather... So and... I might do something similar oh my with my hair. It's... I quite like it. <laughs> it's an even bigger sleigh now than it was back then. Like... Just business mum Heather with a grey streak. It's like, yes, please. Favourite grey streak. The original, the Hypnosil version, or the New Nightmare. I think the New Nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a, it is a slay in the other two as well. Yeah. Heather attempts to go home to get Rex for Dylan, but security take her to an office for Dr. Hefner to give her another good talking to. Yeah, with the police as well. And this is where I'm like, okay, I mean, the evidence is piling up against yeah. you, Heather. This is very strange behaviour. Yeah. Um. So the doctor is kind of justified in being very mm-hmm. suspicious about what's going on. Um. Julie tries unsuccessfully to keep the nurses from sedating the sleep-deprived Dylan. One of them gives him a jab to send him to sleep. And Julie's like, you bitch, and punches her. And Not Lynn Shay. This should have been no. Lynn, justice for Lynn Shay. She should have been punched in New Nightmare. <laughs> she threatens to stab both nurses with needles containing stuff that they don't know what it is. <laughs> so they leave and she locks them out. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Hefner asks if Heather has any history of recreational drugs in the family and suggests that they put Dylan in foster care whilst they do tests on Heather. After Dylan falls asleep from the sedative... Freddie appears behind Julie 
and holds her up in the air. Now, this is a fantastic scene and a recreation of one of the greatest scenes in the franchise, Tina's death. The nurses open the room and she's just there floating in the air. And uh, then Freddy turns to Dylan and is like, hey, Dylan, ever played skin the cat? And then drags Julie onto the ceiling and uh, she reaches for Dylan as he reaches for her. Freddy snaps her neck and lets her drop to the ground as Dylan calls out for Rex and runs away. And it is just so fucking good. It is. And to have the Rod character replaced with a child yeah. makes it even creepier. Yeah. And it being in a hospital, um, obviously, Freddy got his hat and uh, his coat, his big coat on. His leather pants. His leather pants on. <laughs> Which gives it a little bit of camp energy. Um, it's the, the stretching to hell. It's like, okay, well, move a little bit forward. It's like the both films. The outstretched arm. It's like Rod and Dylan. It's like, well, you're not going to reach. Come on, get your ass up and help out. <laughs> Great visual, but it didn't quite make sense. Like, get over there. Um, <laughs> but also, like, what is Dylan going to do? If he holds onto a hat, like, he's going to... Be able to pull her off the ceiling. I mean, realistically, in the moment, would either of them be thinking of any of this? I don't know. While she's being dragged along the fucking ceiling. I know. Tracy. Trying to make an entertaining podcast. Tracy Middendorf really puts in a performance here, and she's so fucking good. And it's a shame that she gets killed. Someone had to die. Yeah. Someone had to die, and yeah, it had to be the babysitter. Yeah. um... Because what you've had what. One deaths, two. Well, I mean, I suppose you have the this, Chuck and Terry. Yeah. Poor Chuck and Terry. But you've only had one of a death scene so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. So you do need to show what the stakes are. You yeah. Know? But up that tension. Heather goes to the room where Julie was killed, gives the uh, the nurse that was punched an elbow to the stomach. Not her day. Just disfilinche. And she uh, would have acted the hell out of that elbow <laughs> to the stomach. I mean, to be fair, she deserves it. Like, after she gives him the jab, she's like, oh, all done. And, like, sarcastically looks at Julie. So, I think, I think she deserved it. She did. From the perspective of someone who knows that this dream demon yeah. man is going around and killing people. Because we know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's justified. But she, I don't think she was really thinking, oh, yeah, Freddie. Freddy's real. <laughs> there is, there is, um, there is one nurse where, when Heather starts freaking out earlier, and uh, she's like, "Freddy's got Dylan," and uh, the nurse like, "Freddy who? You mean like uh, something like Freddy Krueger or something yeah, like that?" Yeah. <laughs> um, Heather Jim King Kong, Santa Claus. <laughs> Heather realizes Dylan has headed home with the direction she gave him earlier, and drives to find him whilst calling John to help her. Ever finds Dylan walking across the freeway whilst a giant Freddy appears in the sky. And this brings back that, you know, comical, sort of cartoony thing you'd see in the latest sequels, but still manages to be really creepy. Well, this is Dream Warrior. Yeah. The, the, uh, Dream Warriors, isn't it? When yeah. he's in the sky and he's uh, puppeteering the dude. Yeah. Um. So it's reminiscent. I think, I don't... I don't think it's a coincidence that the films that mostly get referenced are the original and Dream Warriors, mm. seen as Dream Warriors was in part written by Wes Craven. Yeah. 
So I think it's going back to those films more mm-hmm. than any of the others. Yeah. Um, and I like it. I love the visuals. I love the idea of um, Heather and Dylan, but Heather mainly trying to reach him past the freeway, you know, the scariness of this, all this ongoing traffic going incredibly fast, yeah. you know, we've all been on motorways, we've seen them. And it, it it's that weird thing where we kind of, when you're in a car, this is a little off topic, but when you're in a car, doesn't it feel like you're going a little slower? Yeah. But when you're near a motorway and mm-hmm. you see how fast that yeah. traffic's going, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. That's like really fast. So trying to like dodge it, Frogger style, mm-hmm. um, sort of resonates as well. So it's really quite a tense scene. Yeah. And I love the imagery of the dozens of extras dressed as Freddy running up to that wall yeah. and peeping over it. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. It's, it's all really intense. And, you know, another great example of why Wes Craven is such a good filmmaker um, Freddie starts taunting Dylan. He dangles him over the traffic with a massive claw. Um, yeah, Heaven's, Heather is almost being hit by multiple cars. Mm. She's um, causing a few accidents. I'm not going to lie. Is. I hope no one was uh, seriously injured in any of those. <laughs> um, upon returning home, though, Heather realizes that reality is starting to overlap with Freddie's make believe realm. Saxon as Nancy's father, Don yes. Thompson, and her and her street, the exterior of her house, and her clothes have all transformed into Nancy's, reclaiming that fucking house as Nancy's house and not Freddy's house. Yes, it's about fucking time. When um, Freddy Krueger did not live there, no. Um, Don Don Thompson, Donald uh, Donald Thompson. Um, he just said, don't start losing it like your mother did. <laughs> I was like, where is Ronnie Blakely? Um, what was she doing around this time? Was she still married to Wim Wenders? I don't know. I don't know, actually. Um, when Heather... Well, just not starring in this film, that's what she was yeah. doing. When Heather embraces Nancy's role, Freddie emerges completely into reality via Dylan's bed in the style of when he appears at the end of the first film. Mm. When uh, you see him rising from the sheets and it's such a good image. Uh, he inducts Dylan to his world and the original score starts to play. Yeah. Um, this is what I love from this on. as well. I love the whole film, but I really like this ending. Yeah. I really like it. It's giving bigger budget. Mm-hmm. It's definitely giving bigger budget. And it's that fairy tale aspect come back. Yeah. And I think it's very clever of Wes Craven. And I thought speaking a little on it earlier, but I think having the fairy tale aspect is very clever of Wes Craven because fundamentally a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street films are about Freddy Krueger playing on people's fears yeah. in their dreams. Well, what is a child fearful of? Not a lot, you know, it's yeah. not it's not part six where he has a mother who's forcing him to be a model. You yeah. know, it's... it's Five. Five, whatever. All of those are the same film. Uh, <laughs> it's fairy tales. It's the story... It's the scary Hansel and Gretel stories that he's been reading that he is scared of. So yeah. I love that aspect to it. And it also is a way of saying, 
We've got eight million dollars. First film was one point one million dollars. Mm-hmm. This is eight million dollars. Yeah. Let's give Wes a little more to play with. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, Heather finds a trail of Dylan's sleeping pills in a style of breadcrumbs and follows him to a hellish construct of Freddy's boiler room. And it is a hellish construct. We even have fucking dragons and stuff flying around. Yeah. If you like, you look carefully. There's like all these creatures flying around and everything. And it is ambitious. It is so ambitious. And I love that Wes Craven went there. There's a sort of um, bird's eye view of it. And it's giving Hellbound Towers of Two. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it looks great. It really does. The set design is top notch. Yeah, uh, Heather finds a script in there for the upcoming nightmare, and it reveals there was no movie, only her life. <gasps> She's reunited with Dylan, and uh, Freddy appears and says, "Meet your maker," as he throws her into a pit of snakes, and he's like, "Pick a pet for the rugrat, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think there's a lot of metaphors here as well yeah. to to have Freddy Krueger. Tell, you know, Heather Langenkamp to uh, meet her maker. Yeah. Because this was, I mean, this yeah. is, Heather Langenkamp has been synonymous with this series for most of her life now. She yeah. was 20 years of age when the first film came out. So she's always been linked to it. No matter what she's mm. done in her career, she will always be Nancy Thompson. So yeah. much so that she made a fantastic documentary called I Am Nancy mm. about the character. And to, in a way, Freddy Krueger to say, meet your main car, Freddy Krueger has made her, has yeah. made her career. But then to throw her into a pit of snakes, mm-hmm. I mean, is that not the... The fan base. The fan base. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, to say I've you're synonymous with this. This is going to follow you for the rest of your life. Yeah, but there is going to be some bad things because of this as well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the stalker aspect. Yes, we we've said it was due to uh, just the ten of us, but her having that bigger role and that bigger presence was because of a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So, you know, being fed to the, the snakes, I think is very metaphorical. Mm. Yeah, no, I think so. She uh, fights back. She attacks him with a snake and says, fuck you. <laughs> uh, Freddy fights off Heather and chases Dylan into a furnace. As Dylan moves further away, Freddy stretches his arm out to grab him. In the style of his long arms in the yes. first film. And it, it, it looks better this time. It does. <laughs> it, doesn't, budget. it doesn't look like... Too, what was it? Like broom handles. Yeah. <laughs> um, Heather runs to save him in slow motion, but he uh, but has to run up some wet stairs. Yes. Again, looks much better than the original. Yeah. Uh, Freddy opens his mouth wide, Holly Jervis style. <laughs> Try eating Dylan and Heather stabs Freddy just in time. That image, I love that image of his huge head and the yeah. the effect looks great. Mm-hmm. I'm just Dylan's head, like about to be eaten. Yeah, a massive gob. Um, Freddy responds to this by literally wrapping his tongue all around Heather. Yeah, I, I this this is again this might be my favorite visual. 
the just the uh, idea of Freddy's incredibly long tongue yeah. trying to smother Heather Langenkamp. Um, it's got a real campiness to it. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's not taking it as far as the sequels did. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it looks great. You yeah. know, and it's silly. It is silly. Yeah, because he's still in a fantasy world yeah. where he can do what he wants. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's it fits with it still, but it's not too over the top. Yeah. Dylan stabs the tongue and saves her, and he and Heather push Freddy into the furnace and light it, destroying both the monster and its reality. Dylan and Heather emerge from under his blankets, and Heather finds a copy of the recent events in a screenplay at the foot of the bed. Inside is written, thanks from Wes for defeating Freddy and playing Nancy one last time. A victory helps imprison the entity of the, film's fran- of the film franchise's fictitious world once more. And Dylan asks if it's a story, and Heather agrees, before opening the script and reading from its pages, because there's nothing like a cute story about his father's death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one I've never got. Yeah. Why is she happily reading this story to us? There's a big chapter in this about <laughs> your dad dying. Well, your dad's scratching his balls and then dying. <laughs> I just, the idea that Wes Craven's got on his computer and typed about Heather's real life husband yeah. scratching his balls. <laughs> I don't know what that says about, <laughs> about Wes Craven or what it says about Chase. <laughs> Is he known <laughs> around the set for scratching his balls a lot? Maybe. Maybe. But that is Wes Craven's new nightmare. That is Wes Craven's new nightmare. Do you know what's so fantastic about that film? What? You are always on Heather and Dylan's side. Yeah. And after all the sequels that came before it, I think it's genius of Wes Craven to be able to do that, uh-huh. to be able to create a film where we are not on Freddy Krueger's side. We're not just waiting for him to kill the next disposable yeah. teen. We actually care about Heather and Dylan mm-hmm. as characters. And I think the meta-ness of it really helps with that. And I think the screenplay and the script and those beautiful moments between them as mother and son really help with Mm -hmm. that. And what you get in return is a very tense film. Yeah. Uh, A horror film with actual horror that keeps you on the edge of your seat. Yes. And it isn't comedy. You know, there's a little, little bit of campness to it, particularly at the end. Mm. That's a fairy tale. Yeah. You know, um, but it keeps it serious and it works and it's effective. Yeah. And it's something that Wes Craven does so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, this is two years before Scream. I, I appreciate that Wes Craven was like, no, I even though this is a flop, I know this is a great concept. I'm just going to do it again. Yeah. And um, obviously Kevin Williamson was a big part yeah. of Scream's um, sort of meta-ness mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But it's it's really a work of genius. It's so ahead of its time and just just perfects, you know, what was great about the first Nightmare on Elm Street while still having those fun little nods there to the sequels as well. Um, yeah, I just, I think it it's amazing. I really love it. I think it's a film that over time, 
people appreciate more and more. Yeah. And newer generations are really understanding what the Mm -hmm. film is trying to do. Yeah. I suppose at the time, a lot of the fan base that the film was talking about was expecting an old school Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. That's what they were expecting. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I love these films. You know, we've critiqued them over the last few weeks, but I love all of his films. I would happily sit down Mm -hmm. and marathon these films. Yeah. I love them. It's it's my favourite franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think there's particularly anything wrong with that. But I think New Nightmare was maybe just a little too different for, for people Yeah, at, at the time. Should we give out some awards? Absolutely. The much-deserved award that she deserves, biggest queen, has to go to Heather. It's Heather. Heather Langenkamp. Um, if I remember correctly, I, I think whenever she's been in the film, she's always won. Yeah. I love Heather Langenkamp. She's a scream queen. Um, she comes across so well in all of her roles that mm-hmm. we've seen her in, particularly in, in these films, in Nightmare on Elm Street films, and in interviews. Like I said, I Am Nancy is a great documentary, and she just seems like a genuinely nice woman. Yeah. Biggest gasp, I give it to Dylan on the rocket in the playground. I went with Julie's death. Yeah. So I've, yeah. Yeah. Obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Best dialogue I have. Hey, Dylan, ever play to skin the cat? I went with no anesthetic, you say. Screw it then. I'm going in. Little buggers full of something I don't like. Um, And that's camp. It, I had to give it to Julie punching a nurse and threatening her with a syringe. I went with Sarah Risha, Bob Shea and Wes Craven playing themselves. <laughs> that's true. Uh, ratings, I give it 10 cute stories about your dad's death out of 10. I give it nine Freddy Krueger crotch tickles out of ten. And Masterpiece, Trash Piece, Trash Basic or a Campbell Bunch of Fern, I'm giving it a Masterpiece. It's a Masterpiece. It's available on DVD, Blu-ray and Video On Demand. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out the obvious one, Scream. Yes. And if you enjoyed this, and particularly the mother-son relationship, apparently the Babadook, that isn't what I wrote down, Uh but yes, absolutely. But also the Ring remake. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And shall we give a ranking? I think so. I'm going to go from worst to best. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to agree on all of these. Let's see. see. At number nine, it is the 2010 remake. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Bottom of the barrel. Shite. I would never rewatch that film ever again. No. Number A is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the worst of the original sequels, yeah. Number seven is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. I agree, definitely. Number six is A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Number five is Freddy vs. Jason. Um, yes, yes, I agree, yes. Number four is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Mm-hmm. And currently, it changes all the time. But yeah. Currently, it's number three, Moon Nightmare. Number two, Dream Warriors. Yeah. And one thing that never changes is number one is the original. The original. I completely agree. Um, yeah. Um, I It's interchangeable between New Nightmare and Dream Warriors. 
But for me, I, I think Dream Warriors just pips it to the post. Yeah. Just, I don't know, I suppose for camp value. Mm. Just, you know, it doesn't really matter, ultimately. Because I, I, like I said, apart from the remake, I'd rewatch all of these films. Yeah. And yeah, and that concludes our discussions on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Apart from Freddy vs. Jason, which will be discussed on a Friday the 13th eventually. Yes. Um, It'll all come to a point. At yeah. One point. Uh, but yeah, I, I adore this franchise so much and I'll never get tired of it. No, I, I, I love it. I love Freddy Krueger. I love the original film so much. It's an all-time masterpiece. It's probably in my top ten films yeah. uh, in terms of enjoyment. I just think it's fantastic. There's nostalgia involved in all of it. Um, if anyone says I'm looking to get into horror films, I would just give them the box set and say, have fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we are Horror Court Trash Over on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker 823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And we're also Gasp Horror Festival across all social media, accepting submissions for next year's festival. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. Next week is the start of our third Nasty November. And because it's our third Nasty November, we are discussing Section 3 films all month. So these are the films that weren't prosecuted. They weren't but, prosecuted, but they were considered video nasties. Yes. You still got a slap on the wrist if you're them. The BBFC were pissed off. Mary yeah. Whitehouse got a knickers in a twist still. Um, yeah, and we have um, some great films coming up, including, you know, two of the greatest films ever made. I was going to say, the, the category three ones. <laughs> I mean... There's some fucking all-time masterpieces yeah. in that one. Yeah. We're, we're not talking cheapo Nazi exploitation with no. these. No. Thankfully. Um, but starting off, Nasty November, will be a 70s horror gem. We are going to be discussing Alice Sweet Alice with John from Life's Better Song podcast. Very excited for that episode. Um, we've worked with um, John on the Better Song podcast we've recorded a few uh, episodes with him and if you remember he joined us when we discussed rope during yeah, pride month did. so very excited to speak to him again yeah and uh, get an american's take on the uh, video nasties. absolutely uh yeah so we'll be back same time same place next week bye, bye.